this summer, June 17th, you got to read John Wesley's birthday. June 17th, 2020, Pastor Melissa and I will be married for 20 years. Yes. All time. It is something to celebrate. Exactly. Uh, but yeah, I mean, she's been winning for 20 years. <laughs> I married her and was attracted to her because I thought we were going to be rich. I thought she was going to make me rich. <laughs> uh, so she, uh, and then we're going to talk a little bit about God's provision and about some financial provision and other types of provision needs, meeting our needs. So before I finish that story, I do want to just make one, two, two clear points. Number one, uh, all of us in this room come from different places in terms of, of how much we had and how much we had growing up, and that's cool. We're also, every, every single one of us in this room, if we want to go get a, a drink of, of water right now, clean water, we can right out of the spigot, or we can get, we can pay for bottled water, which is the craziest idea ever. Like, whoever came up with all this charge people for water. Anyway, whatever. But we can. So that right there makes us all in all of this room uh, rich compared to uh, people around the world today who not only not know where, where their, their food's coming from this afternoon, but they, they can't even get water out of the spigot. And so let's not get confused. Uh, it doesn't make our individual circumstances or our individual seasons that you and I have experienced or have or are experiencing or will experience any less painful or scary or any less in need of a miracle of provision. So we got to bring all that to the table. So we're all on the same page, right? All right? And so just because Jim's rich, it doesn't mean that, you know, he doesn't have something to listen to today. Still coming. Yes. Yeah. I, I, I actually was going to go and put it that way and I changed my mind. So I'm glad Jim didn't did go that route. So we just want to be clear. The other thing we want to be clear about so we don't get walk out of here confused. When we're talking about God's miracles of provision, providing for you and I, providing resources for you and I, we are talking about, and we believe, Scripture is talking about needs, not wants. Needs, providing for needs. I mean, all of us in here want you know, a fancy, brand new, you fill in the blank type of car. Um, but we can't just like come up here and, and hit our knees at the altar and pray, oh Lord, I, I, I have modest ones. Oh Lord, give me a brand new green Ford 350 truck. That's what I want. I want one of those. <laughs> and I know that's not as fancy as what maybe you're thinking about, but that's what I want. Dan said he offered me his truck today. But I, I want a new Ford 350. All right. <laughs> so anyway. So we're not talking about praying for some extravagant want that we have, and oh my, God provides it. Or like, oh, if I write a big enough check to the church or to the Boy Scouts, God's going to um, honor that by giving me something I want. So we're not talking about anything like that. We get kind of burnt with that because we uh, sometimes we want to think that God works that way, or we listen to too many uh, preachers, maybe here in this pulpit or on TV, uh, that believe that. And so that's, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about genuine needs that you and I have either right now or have had or we 
I know enough about everybody in here without getting too personal. I don't think anybody in here is independently wealthy, where like you never had to work. Uh, you just cashed in mommy and daddy's bond, and and you just work for fun. Wouldn't that be fun? <laughs> so I think we're all kind of on on that same level too. All right, so we got all that out of the way. Let's go back to Aaron Pastor Wolf because I thought he was going to be rich. Um, the whole 20 years that we've been married basically has been one big financial struggle. Now, I don't say that to uh, make you feel sorry for us or anything like that. Uh, we are and couldn't be any happier than we are now. Money doesn't make you happy. And we have money. We have lots of expenses. Right? We have money. We have income. Which we're thankful for. We just have lots of expenses. Name was seven. Um, so anyway, uh, again, money doesn't make you happy. Before we, my my, uh, my oldest brother, ten years older than me, again, relatively speaking to me, and to most of us in here, he's rich. Uh, and so my niece, who belongs to my brother, we have a good relationship. And I know one time a couple of years ago, he called me and my, she was lamenting some of the things. Her and dad were going through, and she said to me, Uncle John, I, I finally come to realize she has her own husband trying to figure out how she's going to navigate financial life. Uncle John, I've come to realize uh, by watching you and Aunt Melissa and your kids uh, that poor people are happier than rich people. <laughs> <laughs>
you know, where she was in grad school when we got married, graduated, she was going to go off into the corporate world or, or government world, and she was going to make a pretty good living. And then she got a call on ministry, so she left all that behind and went back to school. My aunt was just a school teacher and a, uh, not just a school teacher, I was a school teacher, basketball coach, but I wasn't making a lot of money. Uh, we weren't making a lot of money. So that was a struggle those three years that she was in the seminary. Uh, and then she gets out into the uh, church world and starts to make a modest income. And I'm assistant principal by now. And, and I'm thinking, man, we've really arrived. Uh, and again, we're having babies, and then we had to move. And, and the first move that we had, we didn't sell our house. We crossed out West Virginia. We bought 19 years ago. And so for the rest of the time, 19 years now, that house has been a stressor. We're finding renters, um, looking at this is a good time to sell it or not, blah, blah, blah. A lot of times we didn't have anybody in at all. We still had a mortgage and uh, seven kids. And uh, yeah, it's just a so struggle. Uh, I'll just get there for a moment. Uh, then I went into ministry as well, and that's like really down to two doing. <laughs> trying to get re- trying to recover. But the point is, I could stand up here for the rest of the day, and this is not a joke, and probably go month by month to illustrate and to remember, share how God has provided along the way. And so what my niece noticed, if she didn't see me hit my knees and pray at the bedside, like, how are we going to pay for this? She didn't see all the things we did along, like, we need X, Y, or Z, but let's give this away to somebody else in that position. We didn't see mysterious, or she didn't see mysterious checks that showed up in the middle of the month for the exact amount of you know, whatever our kids needed at the time. She didn't see the first time we went to write a check for Annika's pre-K again, uh, and we show up and says somebody's paid that to me. I'm feeling cool. Okay, cool. Well, let us know next month. They didn't know the whole year. Uh, it, all these steps along the way, uh, you know, of God's provision for our needs. Now, the other part of this is to be for full disclosure. Is there were times there that our financial struggles weren't because of transition or following God's call or medical setbacks or whatever, things out of our control. There were some times along the way where we messed up, did stupid things. Like one time I came home from school and Melissa was in seminary and, and this is before kids. And she's like, I got a surprise for you. I said, What's that? She said, I bought us season tickets for the Washington Wizards. Like, great, what are we going to eat tonight? Oh, yeah, good and fish sandwiches. Great, awesome. Uh, anyway, so we made mistakes too. And, and, and put it done, uh, set back. Because that's another thing to think about with God's provision is sometimes God provides, like God has been doing for us. And we look around at other times and we say, wait a minute, you know, where's God's provision now? We've been doing it. And what has happened is that we spent God's provision on our wants. That would be a game plan. We had, God had provided for us, and then we spent that money on basketball tickets. 
<laughs> but you still went. Didn't tell a single thing. Andrew comes up. Andrew 
comes up, and he has this youth with him. And he tells Jesus and Philip and the other disciples, look, this kid has five loaves of bread and two fish. You can imagine just all the disciples like, Shh, yeah, right. And how's that going to feed all these people? How's he going to feed all these people? And Jesus takes the bread, he blesses it, he breaks it, and it's like, no right? And shares it with the people. He does the same with the fish. And so, what the scripture tells us later is that not only did the 5,000 plus eat, not only did the disciples have their share, but there were enough to take doggy bags home. There was, there was extravagant in terms of what was left. Turns the bag up, literally bag up, and take with it. And so God had multiplied what this little boy had. Here's the biblical principle that we need to take from this. There's lots that we can take from this book. I alluded to today for the one thing that we were preaching. But here's the principle. A lot of times when we're waiting for God to provide for one of our needs, you and I have a particular need in mind, and we're waiting, and we're praying, we're hitting our knees, we're we're wondering, you know, where is God going in this? Uh, maybe we picked up the phone and we called you know, our mom or our dad, whoever it is we called and complained to, and, and wondered to, like, where, how are we going to do this? We talked to our spouses or our friends or whoever. Uh, maybe we talked to your pastor. I don't know how we're going to provide, how this need is going to be provided for. Principle number one is a lot of times in those cases, when we're waiting, God has already provided for us. It's right in front of us. And so while they're having these conversations, the disciples and Jesus about where we're going to get food, the provision was right there in front of them. The disciples were distracted, and they didn't trust enough that this was going to be enough. A lot of times, it doesn't matter what it is we're talking about, whether it's finances or human resources or other types of resources, things that we need, a lot of times we're looking right at it, our human calculators say that's not enough. Amen? There's no way that's enough. But God doesn't work in our economies. I studied economics too before I went back for education. That's another one of my problems. I have too many degrees that I'm not using. Anyway. So, yeah. So we work under human economic principles. Like there's scarcity here. There's no way it's going to meet the demand. Our supply doesn't meet the demand. That's the way we calculate it. That's not the way that God works. And so we get off. And we do that in the church and leadership, too, as well. We go, oh, there's no way we have enough to do this ministry. So let's not do this ministry. Because we don't have enough. And God can help you. Know, wherever God sits, he's going, oh, my gosh. It's right in front of us. It's five loaves and two fish. They don't trust. So we do it in all aspects of our life. Number one principle to think about. If you don't remember anything else as you go forward. That a lot of times when we're waiting for God to act, God is already acting. It's right in front of us. That's the feeding of the 5,000. The scripture that we had read for us gives us principle number two. And if you pretend like you've never heard this story, maybe you haven't today. First time. And as this story is being read for us, that's the first time you've heard that story. Like, what kind of cloth is this? And if you know the story and you back up, you know that, and you know what happens after. So Abraham and Sarah are supposed to be the patriarch and matriarch of the whole church, or the whole people of God, the whole Israel. 
that Abraham and Sarah were up in years, beyond what we normally think of child-rearing age, birthing age, and that they had been praying and hitting their knees forever, year after year, decade after decade, asking for an heir. They even tried to go solve the problem themselves. Abraham did, and kind of get into some issues with that. They finally have a son, Isaac. And, they, and, and this promise is starting to look a little more like it might come to fruition in terms of he was promised descendants that he couldn't even count, like the stars in the sky. He didn't have one. Now he does, Isaac. And so then, as Isaac starts to grow, by the time we get to this story, he's old enough to understand what's going on. Going up to have a conversation with his dad. So how old he is? He's old enough. And so what happens before our reading today is messenger comes at Abraham. Take Isaac up to the top of the mountain and sacrifice him. Imagine that conversation. Abraham, Sarah. Not in the not in the book. Either directed towards Abraham or God to both. And so after it's all said and done and, and it's decided it's going to be done, some remarkable faith here by Abraham. Abraham takes Isaac and they start to make their way back up the mountain. We can't understand this part of the story. We would have been running the other direction, but this is the story as we have it. Abraham takes Isaac up. Imagine going up the mountain. Remarkable thing happens. Isaac. Turns to his dad, gets his dad's attention. Abraham looks down to him. The younger you make Isaac in the story, the more heartbreaking it is. We just saw young people up here. Can you imagine if that's their age? As a teenager, you can understand a little bit. You're saying, God wants to sacrifice. But that age group, no way. He looks down, and Isaac says, Dad, I hear that. I see that you have wood and rope and a knife. We've made this journey together before. I know what we're going to do up there at the top of the mountain. Where's the land? Abraham looks down, evidently with a straight face, a new face, maybe, and says, one of the great lines in the Old Testament. God himself will provide sacrifice. God himself will provide a sacrifice. Of course, we know now as Christians, what we know about the New Testament, what that statement means for us today. But going back to this story, God himself. So they make their way up. I don't know whether that made Isaac feel better or worse. They go up, and no provision for the land yet, to the point where Isaac's laid out on the table. By, that, by now, Isaac knows he is the sacrifice for sure. He ties him up, he's ready to take his knife and go ahead and make it as painless as possible. And then the messenger comes back and says, don't lay a hand on this bull." Abraham, Abraham. Don't 
stretch out your hand against the serpent. I know now that you revere God, didn't hold back your son, your only son, from And Abraham looks up and sees the ram is tossed towards the cross. He grabs that and makes it fall. The principle here is lies. One rule that's up today is where God leads, where God calls you to go, God provides. God provides. There are plenty of opportunities, and if Abraham had not thought it before, by the time he got to this point, and Isaac looked up to him, and if I hadn't changed my mind yet, when my son finally realizes what's going on, we would have turned and we would have went the other direction. Amen? Maybe you had gotten to that place. Abraham keeps on where God had called him to go. And God provides this. Sometimes that's the scariest because wherever you are starting, the provision's not there. But you're being called to do something and you can't see a way through. The provision's not here. It's not just about being scarce or little or not enough. There is no provision. God, there is no provision for us to think about God calling us to take and sacrifice our son. There's no provision for that in this story. Other than Abraham's faith that by the time he gets up there, something's about to happen. One of the most amazing things that happened on my journey, lots of journeys, lots of amazing provisions as I answered the call to ministry to go uh, from the school system giving that up and starting afresh with a new program in school. Not only losing the income, but, you know, paying for a new degree the next three years. A couple ways that God worked that I knew right away that God was calling me to ministry. It wasn't just something that I had thought of. Number one, didn't know what kind of part-time job I was going to get while we were in seminary. Seminary was full-time get through it fast in three years. I needed some kind of income, but didn't know where that was going to go. The first, and so June was my last day at the school system, and I was going to start seminary in August of that year. 2005, I think. And Melissa wasn't even working full-time for a church. She was full-time, and maybe she was just transitioning to full-time, whatever. She wasn't making a lot of money. Okay. We were really stuck. But trust me that God had called me to ministry. We would figure out that tomorrow. Well, tomorrow came the very next day. Because when we notified the district superintendent that I wanted to pursue my call to ministry, first step, it usually takes a, at least a year or so to get actually to become a, an official candidate for ministry. There's lots of steps. But what happens the very next day, after emailing the district superintendent, my letter of entry, he left a message on our home phone. Got home, and he said, not even like congratulations or let's get together to talk. He said, John, I have a church for you to serve while you're in seminary. And anything that you don't know how to do, Melissa can show you how to do it. I still hate to say So I had my part-time job. That was not just affirmation, but a provision. I started there at that church, 
or until Sunday, July 3rd. I preached Sunday, July 4th, we were off. I was going to start school on August 15th or so. You know how we're going to pay for it. The church council that where I was serving, very small church in no way West Virginia. Just right nearby where I grew up in Summer Point, five miles apart. But the church council meeting that first night, and a group of farmers and retired folks sat around that table, had our meeting. The one thing I, the only way to explain this division, the third day I was with these people, I must have had one heck of a sermon on July 3rd. <laughs> and it must have been short. <laughs> I learned along the way how to drag things out. Because at the end of that meeting, one of the ladies named Sandy, Irish school teacher that lives on the farm right near the church said, I have some new business. Everybody like, all right, that's cool. What is it? She says, I'm, I'm making a motion that we pay for Pastor John's seminary all three years of school. Right there on the spot. I've known him for three days. And so God had known that all along. I didn't know where that provision would come from. But God provides where God leads. If God was leading me into this life, God was going to provide all the way. I didn't, I mean, you know miracle, that's a miracle of provision. I had no idea. But that was, I was just happy and so thankful to have a little part-time gig there. Uh, to be able to serve and practice what I was learning and have a little bit of income for people to take care of us. To have my school pay for it. Promise to pay for the whole thing and expenses. And that's all. It's amazing. God wasn't asking me to sacrifice a son like the Lord. I would have been sacrificed nonetheless. And so if you are sacrificing something, if God's asking you to do something, God's going to provide. There's a great quote in the New Testament where God calls, God equips. This principle, number two, is where God leads.
welcomes them into your home. So she goes out, and I just imagine for a moment, I don't know whether this is true or not, the scripture doesn't say, but I imagine just for a moment that she recognized who it was. Maybe not by faith, but she just knew or had a feeling it was a, the prophet from God, Elijah. Elijah, who had performed many miracles, including raising a boy from the dead, and, and many miracles along the way. Maybe she had heard that he was coming to town, and, and so she walked out to her surprise. He's coming to her house. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. I've been provided for. And so as the prophet comes, makes the brain He's asking her, promise to God, that her, who she prayed for, come and be her deliverer. He's asking her for food. He says, sir, I love this, as God is my witness, what I was about to do before I saw you come was to go inside. I only have this little vial of oil. And I had this little bit of flour. I was going to mix them together and put them in the fire and make one last cake. Then my son and I were going to eat that cake. Then we were going to die. That was her plan of the day. And so now, if you've never heard this story before, what you're expecting Elijah the prophet to say is, Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Let's go to town. Let's go get, I'll go get you something else. I'll perform a miracle down by the river. I'll go kill a goat with my own hands. Let's go do this. He doesn't say any of that. He says, and this is my paraphrase, cool, we have some of that. Getting ready to take food of a starving child and widow's mouth. Where is that in the Bible? That that's okay to do? Nowhere. He says, cool, let me have some of that. And so she, being hospitable, goes into her house and she starts to pour the oil into the basin. And the basin overflows. She starts to take that vial of oil and pour it into another basin. And it overflows. She goes into every single vessel that she has in her hut, the scripture says, and she pours it and it overflows. And so this last bit of oil that she was going to use to make one cake for her and her son to eat before and as their last meal, 
is now overflowing her hut. The flour or meal or whatever it was she was mixing into the vessel overflows. Into the right down the line, she has abundance and her flour has multiplied. And they eat not just today, not just Elijah the prophet, not just the widow of the son, but all of them together eat. And now she has hope that her supply is not going to run dry. Thank you. 
this curious way that you have no idea. Meeting somebody's needs sometimes is closer to home than meeting other friends. And never ignore that in others. We are so thankful for all the ways that people provide for our needs of all. Lord, that we get to do what we need to do. Sometimes what God provides is right in front of us. God always provides what God calls us. Gracious God, we are thankful for this time together. Thank you. Your economics doesn't always make sense to us. Lord, we know that wealth and poverty and everything in between are all relative. We know that our good days are a struggle for some. Our struggles, some people would sign up in a heartbeat. Either case, in any way, in any shape or form, we trust miracles of provision and needs will be met. Thank you for these scriptural stories that reinforce, give us principles. We thank you for our personal experiences. We thank you for your testimony of your love. We give this over to you in the name of Jesus.